This week on the Recruitment Flex with Shelly Day Drinking again. Flexible shifts, a possible solution for retail hiring. No more hiding your neck tattoos at Disney. And stop expecting customers to subsidize their staff wages with tips. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and joined by my co-host Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, how are you doing? Serge, I'm doing great. I did a little day drinking today, so I might say a few things that are a little off color. (laughs) I went out for lunch and I had a drink. How many drinks? Like one drink? Do you consider day drinking one drink? I remember for years working downtown and I'd go for lunch and I would see people drinking, sometimes two beers, drinking wine. And I always thought like, how can you do that? And then go back to work. So I thought I'd try it. So how many drinks? One, two? I had one, but it was an old fashioned. Well, one drink is not day drinking. <laughs> Come on, oh, Shelly. Well, okay. What is day drinking then? Like I, you I, find day drinking. That's when you just continuously you, you, drink. All yeah. Day. You get hammered, right? That's okay. what I think day drinking is. You get hammered and you're in bed by 7 p.m. <laughs> how many drinks have you ever had at lunch? Very few. few. Like, first of all, if I drink beer at lunch, I'll be sleeping by two o'clock. I'm already tired in the afternoon. So drinking is not a good idea. And I don't drink a lot. I might say very inappropriate things. Just have never risked it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I'm sure our friends in the audience that maybe are in HR have a few stories to tell of people that had five or six drinks at lunch and then think it's okay to come back to work. Oh, I think it was very common in the oil and gas days, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mad Men. Well, in those days. well, They kept booze in their office. But even like we're talking 2010 here in downtown Calgary, I think it was very common to have more than a few drinks, especially like the oil and gas sales guys. um, Pretty sure they would have multiple drinks. It was part of the culture, right? Yeah. So good for you. You should have had more than one. This would have been way more entertaining. Sorry. And uh, next time. Because it was the one year anniversary of Melissa, right? Yeah. Yes, it was. We went out for lunch and I was thinking like, wouldn't it be nice to just sit around? But I'll tell you, it was a ghost town. By a ghost town. Five minutes after one o'clock. Boom. The place is empty. It was full at lunch. Everybody just vamooses. Oh, vamooses. Right right back to work. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Couple of things I wanted to bring up. So our friend, Will, Will is hosting live events where we actually meet up again. He's hosting two live events for the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group. First Mm. one is going to be Wednesday, November 9th at the Lamplighter Public House. I've actually been there before. In Vancouver. Don't forget that part. (laughs) Vancouver listeners. Go to, I think it's CanadianRecruiter.ca or .com. And register to go. It's in collaboration with Recruitment Jam YVR. I think it used to be our friend Bradley Clark that used to run that. I'm not 100% sure, but either way, 
I'm sure he's involved. Will is the man. So if you're a recruiter, want to meet mm-hmm. some of your colleagues, definitely go. And then there's a Calgary event on November 24th at the yeah. Improving Offices. I have no clue where that is. It's somewhere in the Celtics. I think it's actually pretty close to where I live. But this is where all Calgary recruiters will get together. I'm sure there'll be events across the country. So there you go. Yeah. Sir, are you going to be there? Potentially. There's a good chance. Yes, I've registered. Don't tease. Really? But he's dying to see you back in real life. Come on. The big drum roll. Will search come? Will you be there? I already bought my ticket. There you go. I there absolutely am supporting your friend and mine, Will Van Mindendorp. I'm glad you said the last name because I always screw it up. <laughs> you were intentionally not saying I know. <laughs> I could tell. So you ready to jump into some insights? Well, before we go into insights, oh, no, I do want to talk, oh, talk to you about out. something that um, I've interviewed many times in my career and I've done How many? Jobs. I don't know. You had to count? Um, how many would you say you've done? Not that many because uh, I'm going to brag here. There's not many interviews that I haven't gotten the jobs. Yet. I'm no. sorry. I thought you meant people you've interviewed. For. No, no. Oh, okay. oh, people you I've are interviewed. being interviewed for the job. Yeah, okay, I've yeah. lost count. Myself interviewing and one of the habits they always had is always send a thank you note. I grew up with boomer parents and boomer parents would tell yeah. us like, this is how you get a job. You must you do yeah. this. You must do this. You must kiss the ring. So there was an article. It's just good manners. Well, uh, I think from their generation, for sure. It's good manners. And and maybe it is, but is it still relevant? That's a question I'm going to ask you because there was an article from 2019 that got resurfaced up over the weekend because Adam Karpiak, and if you don't follow Adam Karpiak on on LinkedIn, Twitter, he's a recruiter. I'm not sure if he's a recruiter. I think he's a comedian. Yeah, he helps people with resumes. Extremely witty guy, extremely witty content. And resurface an article that Jessica Liebman, who is the chief people officer at Business Insider, wrote saying, look, there's one thing that is a must for me to hire anyone. They need to send me a thank you note. And he resurfaced it. It blew up again. People not realizing it's from 2019. I think she still feels exactly the same way. Most of it was like, she's crazy. Like, why would I send a thank you note? They should send me a thank you note, which fair enough in this type of labor market. So I wanted to get your thoughts. Did you send a thank you note after an interview? And as a recruiter or hiring manager, should you expect it? And could you disqualify people if they don't send you a thank you note? Come on, Serge, you know how many years I've been recruiting? And even though maybe you've lost count, if I got a thank you note from each person I ever interviewed, I would have well over 10,000 thank you notes. Do you know how many I actually have? Like I, I may have maybe 50 or 60. Oh, really? Yeah. It's kind of funny because when I was in the corporate world, everyone would say they've never seen anybody with more thank you cards all over their desk. That I don't think was for the interview. I think it was because it was an absolute golden rule to let people know they didn't get the job. And job seekers were like, thank you for telling me. And that's what I got more thank you notes for was just tell me, like, don't leave me hanging. Emails, like a quick email note. Yes, absolutely. But not a handwritten thank no, you. No, no one's saying a handwritten in this case. The thank you oh. notes, an email saying, 
Thank you. I appreciated the interview. It doesn't have to be handwritten. If it's for a sales you role. You thought I was talking about thank you notes, like written thank you notes. Like yeah. oh, when is this? 1992? <laughs> yes. That's what I thought you meant. That's what I thought she was saying. If you are interviewing for a sales or a business development role, I think it is more common than other types of roles. To say you wouldn't hire somebody if they didn't send that to you. I'm trying to think the only reason that she would be such a stickler about it is because that's very much their culture. And so if you want to fit in, we expect constant thank yous and acknowledgements. It says a lot about the culture of the company, don't you think? Well, she's worked in multiple companies. She said basically everywhere she's worked, that's been the one criteria of, well, not the only criteria, but it's been one of the disqualifying items if she doesn't get a thank you message after doing an interview. What do you think? I don't think it's a bad thing. Like if you want to send a thank you note as a candidate, why not? Why wouldn't you do it? It literally takes three minutes to do, but I also understand the flip side of it too. There's maybe a culture element to it in certain sectors that's were used after an interview, you send a thank you note. Maybe that's not the same for a different generation growing up. Like I can tell you, it's probably not the case with Gen Z. And in some ways, the script has been flipped. It's like, we should be thankful that they showed up at the interview because we are short staffed. Why are recruiters not sending thank you notes for you to come to the interview as well? And I get that argument. So all I'm saying is it should never be a disqualifier if someone doesn't send. Oh, agreed. Yeah. But the flip side, like, why not? If you are a candidate, you really want a job. Why not send a thank you note? Like literally it's five minutes. And if you're a recruiter and this candidate is going to go to three more interviews this week, why wouldn't you send them a quick note? Yeah, absolutely. It is a two-way street. Anyways, I thought it was an interesting topic, but yes, let's jump into the week's recruitment insights. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with one, which interestingly enough, our friend and fellow podcaster, the lovely Lauren Sharp from Tapod. She caught an article from the CBC that was talking about the aging workforce. And I know we just talked about this recently, that what we're seeing is people retiring younger than what was anticipated between 55 and 64 years old. In this article from the CBC, what struck me as innovative is one employer who is inviting retirees back or inviting people to basically give us what your availability is. So the phrase you were just talking about flipping the script, the biggest change is that they are um, come back on your own terms. I've not heard that before. Have you? Well, I think if you're looking in retail and how competitive it is and trying to attract that workforce that has retired, but maybe is looking to work 10, 15, 20 hours at their own leisure to make a little bit of extra money to get out of the house to meet new people, having that flexible option is critical. If I can go to a company and be like, hey, I'm willing to work Wednesday mornings, 9 to 12 and Friday, 1 to 4, and the company can be flexible with it great. Like it works in both ends, right? So to me, that is a workforce, especially in retail that should be in high demand. And we've seen like Home Depot do this for years, trying to get people that have retired from other industries and have interest in woodworking or whatever the case is, and I'm working the hours they do. This particular company, Lee Valley, is a retailer in Ontario. And 
they they've had some success with that. I was reading the rest of the article talking about like what are these innovative recruitment practice and I'm like you're still missing the mark, right? Yeah. One of the quotes is attract younger new talent who would be willing to then stay and grow in the organization. Come on, what is this? 1972. The average lifespan of an employee within a company, especially in retail, is 2.8 years. Then the article was talking a lot about how can we engage the workforce? How can we go look at other areas that we can attract talent? We saw some things about the city of Toronto starting with TikTok videos. And we just watched it before recording this. And I'm like, you're missing the mark, right? Oh, yeah. It's a video that they're putting on TikTok to work at a wastewater plant, was it? I'm like, yeah, there's nothing about the video that really got me excited. I don't know. Well, at least they're trying, right? That's always been my motto. At least they're trying. But is is it ill-advised to have your employee standing halfway out of the camera on his smartphone and you can't read what's behind him? To send out one TikTok is, to me, kind of tantamount to posting your job in one place and hoping that somebody reads it. Well, it's just saying, hey, we've done a TikTok. TikTok is a whole strategy, right? It's like any channel that you're going to leverage, there is a whole brand strategy. There's a whole approach. There's a cadence to it that matches what actually people watch on TikTok. Just putting a video out there, like just don't do anything is my advice. Do anything else but that. We're talking about challenges and looking at different labor pools and how you can attract people maybe that you couldn't Mm -hmm. pass. I saw an article that I wanted to talk about as well. Companies relaxing policies on visible tattoos, which I'm like, that's really a thing? You're telling me companies are excluding people who have tattoos. Disney, UPS, and Virgin Atlantic reveal that they're relaxing their policies around tattoos being shown in the workplace. I think the stats are that nearly half of people under 40 have tattoos. And who cares? I don't have one tattoo on my body, Mm -hmm. but hey, if you like tattoos, it fits for you. Great. I'm not going to shy away to get service from the person at Disney because they have a tattoo. This goes back to the prison tattoos. It's prison Mike. Yeah, it's prison Mike. (laughs) He's got a tattoo across his forehead that says, fuck you. (laughs) Okay, I get it. If they have a teardrop tattoo, okay, maybe that's right. But can you start to say what is body art and what's a tattoo? My experience with this is it's more like you are absolutely fine with body art, but keep it covered up. Well, this was a big topic, actually, because keep it covered up really. Well, so here's the thing. It's very common to have tattoos if you're in the police or the armed forces, what have you. The only time they would ask you to cover it up is if it said something profane. Yeah. I don't think it's the idea of a rose or a tattoo that says mom. I think the only issue is profanity. So if you are working at a place like Disney, you don't want some guy who's got, I don't know, Trump forever across his chest, right? Like things that are provocative. I can see that. And people will tattoo some pretty wild stuff on their bodies. If you have something with profanity or something that's controversial, then just keep it covered up. Oh, I agree with that. Uh, I agree. But if your tattoo is nice and... Well, so there's where it gets tricky. Like what one person thinks is nice, another person thinks is horrible. I think the only line to draw is around things that are obscene, you know, in poor taste. 
Well, you cover up your tattoos pretty well, right? I don't have a single one. I am too much of a chicken. I could never do that. Like I couldn't imagine subjecting myself to the pain. I don't get the benefit ratio there with the pain. I really don't. You know what? Some people, it looks really good and it's legit. For me, it's just, it looks like I'd be trying too hard. (laughs) But there's some really good like fake tattoos now that last for a month. I'm going to show up like with full sleeves. Maybe for Disrupt HR, I'll have a full neck tattoo. Let's just see (laughs) how that works out. Get right on that, would you? No, it's just, it's not me. And for some people it is, and I completely respect that. But I think what we're saying here is, We have to screen in candidates, not screen out candidates and excluding people because they have tattoos. It's just not acceptable anymore. I agree with you. Don't have profane, but like half of Americans have body art of some sort. Exactly. It's very common because if you think about half the population under 40, so we're talking about Gen Z millennials, we got to be adapting to those generations in the workforce. They don't need to be adapting to us. They're going to be controlling the workforce very shortly. Well, we better suck it up and deal with it. So let's stop excluding people on that end. There's another insight that we've talked a lot over the last two and a half years. I'm a little tired of talking about working from home. And before I go into this particular story about uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella talking about what his thoughts are on, it's a couple of data points that have come out recently that we're seeing some type of reversal in trend. It was at one particular point around 30% of the jobs advertised were remote. That has gone down to around 15 to 20% in the last three to four months. Also, LinkedIn just shared data today at Talent Connect saying they're getting two to three times more applicants for jobs that are remote Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. work from home type of jobs. What I just said about our generation, so Generation X and boomers adapting to the generations that are coming up behind us, they are asking us for this. They want the flexibility and the capability to work from home. And we're just retracting to what we feel comfortable. This is where I found it was interesting when Satya came out and said, there's some concerns, right? So 87% of employees say they're more productive when they work remotely or in a hybrid setup. But 85% of employees say it's difficult to have confidence in their workers' productivity when they're not in person. He says, there's one way. Let's not talk about dogma anymore. Let's just see what the data says. Mm -hmm. And the first thought when you think about data is like, okay, we better be monitoring our employers. So let's put that software that monitors how long it takes to write an email. Or camera on all day. Camera or how many keystrokes they've done in a day. Mm -hmm. That's not what he's saying. It's going back to what are the business goals and are those people meeting those business goals and the ability to work from home? And there's very clear data on that. We're seeing a lot of CEOs go the opposite way. And Microsoft, to me, is one of the most important companies in the world. And he's made it really clear. What was your thoughts here? In the absence of really having any sort of management structure, then the only thing people can think of is monitoring, right? I need to see you because that is very 1950s management style. Like you have a carrot and you have a stick and you need to be able to watch your employees. And as long as you do what I say, you'll be rewarded. And if not, I'm going to correct you. And that is just carried over and thinking that we can still do the same thing. Like, 
it's so absurd, Serge. If you think people who are efficient then become penalized. If I can complete something in an hour that would take anybody else two or three days, how can you measure that? You know what I mean? I don't think there is a productivity measure. And I agree. Like what Nadella was coming out to say is you got it all wrong. The bottom line here is be clear on what the objectives are. Be clear on what we need to accomplish. But that's a big stretch, I think, for a lot of people. And I don't necessarily think it has to do with age, Serge. I think it has to do with the fact that you probably had very little leadership training or you've ever seen a true example of a workplace that does measure by outcomes and not by the number of keystrokes or whether or not you've got your camera on. You know, I disagree that it's going back to 1950. It goes back to 2018, 2019, right? It's not that far. It's been a big culture shift that's been in the works for a really long time, but obviously accelerated in the last three to four years. So I was just saying that was the management style, right? Oh, it, it still so is. You still, learned, like it's but today. it's because it's because that's all you ever learned. So if you join a company, that manager is a product of his manager, who's a product of his manager, because a lot of people end up managers or leaders, and they only do whatever their manager did for them versus actually getting some formal training on how to properly lead people. Yeah, I'm just happy he came out with a voice of a CEO that is very well respected because... We are seeing completely dissenting voices from most other CEOs that are not talking about age, but from that generation and that type of control and command era. Yes. And they're not willing to learn anything new. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You ready to go on to the next one? Go. Okay. I wanted to talk a little bit about our friends down south. In Portland, there is a proposal to raise minimum wage, which would also ban employers from paying tip earning staff less than minimum wage, which I know to even say that out loud is kind of shocking, but it is part of their culture because in some places, the wage for staff who earn tips is as low as $6.50 an hour. They're counting on their customers to subsidize the wage of their employees. I just find it absolutely incredible that there's even debate around it. Why would anyone go work in a restaurant if you're going to make the same amount of money that you would in retail, especially in a time that's very challenging to find talent? You are now going to be competing with areas where potentially you can make more money to work less and it's guaranteed with the minimum wage. But we've seen that. Didn't we talk about this not long ago? I think it was in Pennsylvania where you could pay $2.50 if there was tips involved. Like, Let's stop having consumers subsidize your staffing, right? I don't know if you've noticed this, Shelly, but you can't go anywhere now without being asked to tip. I go order fast food. It's asking me for a tip. I'm like, A tip for what? This is the point of fast food, right? We're already dealing with inflation of 9%. So now I have to pay 15 to 20% on top of it to subsidize your employees that you're not paying well. Like, how does that make sense? You notice in restaurants, you're right, because I've noticed the same thing. This is like food service restaurants versus fast food, but hand you the 
remote unit to pay with your card. And it will suggest three tip levels or other, but it starts at 15. So the assumption is the minimum amount that you would tip somebody in a service restaurant is 15%. The argument on one side of this debate in Portland is that they honestly believe that tip earning workers earn significantly more than just $15 an hour. Well, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah, like, that's of course fine. you will. But why would you drop their wage? It really comes down to the fact that they've got lower labor costs that are then subsidized by their customers. And that's their business model and always has been. That's how they're making money. Well, that won't last for long, right? I think it's absurd to pay somebody six fifty an hour. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So talk to me about your best friend, Elon Musk. <laughs> so I'm going to start this off by saying, Serge, I know we debated whether or not to talk about this on the show, but maybe I'm getting my own little conspiracy theory in my head here because I've been watching that show on Netflix called Eat the Rich, and it's all about GameStop, right? And the tipping point on GameStop is when Elon Musk tweeted, I like the stock. That's all he tweeted. We all know what's swirling around Elon Musk. He was going to buy Twitter and then he backed off and now he's full steam ahead again. Within the same few days, Twitter staff were barred from selling any shares until the Elon Musk deal is complete. And so employees are like not happy about that because within a matter of days, the Washington Post reported that Elon Musk plans to reduce staff by as much as 75%. I'm sure there's some rules that I don't know about, but he has such influence over the market. It's really incredible to watch. So am I just watching too much TV at night, Serge? Are these two things not connected at all? I don't think they are. I did watch the GameStop, Eat the Rich, which I thought was fantastic, by the way. But Elon has this habit. He's done this with Bitcoin, Dogecoin, where he will push different stocks or the underdog, right? And the minute that the richest man in the world backs something, it definitely is going to levitate or at least draw interest. I don't correlate the same here because they are in pending transaction of closing this deal. It's not uncommon unless, please, if you know more about stocks or anyone listening that there is a hold on employees selling the stock that's very common and the flip side to it is it's not like elon came out and tweeted i'm gonna lay off 75 percent of the twitter staff he told it to investors his plan for the company so it's not him coming out and saying they leaked it without him maybe there's a conspiracy in there that it was coordinated But I don't think that would be the plan on his end because a lot of investors would say Twitter needs a big shakeup. It's bloated. It's a cesspool. Have you been on Twitter? It needs a dramatic shakeup of what it used to be because not a viable platform anymore. It's just bots and shit. So I don't see the benefit here at all. And to be honest, as you know, I'm always about the worker, but When companies get bloated like this and have shown no 
return and have shown no upward progress, maybe they do need to lay off staff because he's overpaying for Twitter by a lot. He's got to do something to shake it up. So I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think it just happened this way. Fair enough. Um, Still, if I were an employee, I'd bail out if I knew he was coming in. I mean, it's now public. It was everywhere, right? Everybody was talking about it. And if he says 75%, where's your top talent going to go? You think they're going to stay? I have no idea about the inner workings of Twitter and what what exactly they have 7,500 people doing. But if you're top talent at Twitter, I think if nothing else, a message out to our IT recruiters is go start knocking on doors of the top talent over at Twitter because they're ready to go. How could he possibly understand the business well enough to come in and make those sorts of slashes? Well, this was already in the plan before Elon Musk. This was in discussion before, right? So this is not something that's just coming 25% was the plan, not 75. Well, even 20, yeah, okay. Was it 25%? Yeah, the current management plan to lay off 25% of the staff by the end of next year. And the new report revealed Musk wanted to reduce Twitter's 7,500 employees down to a skeleton staff of around 2,000. The flip side to it too, though, if you're a top performer and you've got a bunch of dead weight, you might be happy to see that dead weight go too. So I'm not an Elon Musk fan, but the guy's a genius. There's not many people in our generation that the guy sent a rocket to space. Like the guy's going to go to Mars. The guy has an electric car company that's worth more then like Ford, GM, Dodge, all combined. One of the side is like, he's an idiot. But the flip side to it is he's a genius. If I'm a genius, I might want to work with a genius. So they might work the opposite way where they can actually attract way better talent than they can right now. I guess time will tell, Shelly. Yeah, yes. Good. Well, thank you for weighing in on that. So that's all I have, Shelly. Anything else? Okay. No. Man, it's, it's another week in the books. So Shelly, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you. Another you great too. episode of Recruitment Flex. See you soon. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.